So we're continuing to think about how we plant and pastor safe or safer churches. And the Bible text that we've been using to help us think this through is in Acts chapter 20. And I want to come back to, uh, to those words here. So Acts chapter 20. Um, this is Paul and he's en route to Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to face trouble in Jerusalem. It will lead to his arrest and eventually that he's going to go to Rome to face trial in front of Caesar. Uh, and so en route he gets the elders of the Ephesian church uh, together at a place called Miletus. And he gives them this farewell address. And in Acts 20 verse 25 he says, And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. So these are his last words to them. And he says, Therefore I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves, and for all the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from among your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. One of the responsibilities that elders have in the church as under-shepherds in Christ Jesus, alongside providing, in other words, teaching God's word, is protecting. Elders are meant to provide and to protect, to feed the church with God's word, but also to guard the church from danger. So Paul says, make sure you take that responsibility seriously. This is not a hypothetical danger. Wolves are coming. So here we have that imagery of the, the shepherd. And uh, the shepherd would uh, make sure that each night he counted in the sheep, into the sheepfold. And when they were settled to sleep, he would place himself in the gateway act as the first line of defence against danger. And so Jesus will say about himself both that he is the good shepherd and that he is the gate, that the shepherd is the gate that stands in the gap. And the danger was that wild animals, predatory animals, and the focus on wolves, seeing the sleeping sheep, would go into attack to cause mayhem, to kill and to feast. The danger was also that when sheep were out pasturing, when they were out during the day feeding on the green grass of the hillsides around, that the sheep that got isolated from the flock would be in danger from being picked off by the wolves. 
Uh, and so shepherds have that responsibility to stand guard, to get between danger and the sheep, and to keep their eyes open, to keep their eyes open for where danger is coming from, where it's far off, to keep an eye out for sheep that are getting disentached, getting isolated from the rest of the flock. When you get isolated away from the family, from the body of Christ, that's where danger is. Paul says you need to do that because here are these people and they are dangerous. They are like the wolves. Uh, their concern is predatory. Uh, their aim is to draw people to themselves, uh, to build up a following for themselves, for their own personal gratification. And that gratification uh, may come because they see financial gain, that if they draw people uh, to follow them, they, they can fleece them and get them to pay their tithe, pay their gifts to them. Sadly, sometimes it can be about sexual gratification, the sexual predatory abuse of people. Sometimes it is simply that gratification that comes from having power, having influence, having control that gives you that sense of identity and value. Not a right sense of identity and value in Christ, but that identity that comes from having other people depending on me, looking up to me, giving me praise, following my every instruction, hanging on my every word. Now, these are the different ways that the, the wolves can pursue gratification and, and power. That means that a wolf will attack in, in different ways. Uh, so one means of attack is false teaching. They will start to lead the church astray. They will do that in different ways. Uh, one way that they are false teachers is if they add to what God's word says. So they add things that you have to do. They add things to the gospel. And things that suit them. Uh, like pay me money. Like do these things for me. So they add a layer of legalism. Here are all the things that you have to do for God to accept you, for God to love you, and for you to be accepted and loved within the church or within our particular group within the church. And so sometimes one of the ways that the false teacher will, will sneak in, the way that the wolf will sneak in, is by creating a, a level of piety within the church. That things that may look really good and and healthy and great, yeah. that great joy when you when you hear that somebody is starting a, another prayer group in their home. That less good when the commitment, the passion, the holiness of people within the church is being measured based on whether or not they attend the group. 
not so good when you discover that there is a level of division and rivalry and gossip that creeps into that group under the cover of piety. And what you will realise at that point as well is that there is a sign of people that are getting isolated from the main body of the church and their dependency is not so much interdependency with the rest of the church, dependency on Christ and the gospel and being fed with God's word, but their dependency is increasingly on those individuals. So the false teacher will add to God's word. Uh, the false teacher may also take away from God's word. But they may begin to question or deny aspects of the gospel or the truth, the veracity of parts of the Bible. It's gradually undermining people's confidence in God's word. Uh, that's why a few years ago uh, there was this guy called Steve Chalk who had become very influential within evangelical circles and this is something happening at the national level replicated in the local church and what he did was he he published a book and much of the book he claimed to be following what the bible said and said i believe the bible but he denied one little aspect of what the bible very clearly teaches so the bible Right through the Bible is this theme of Jesus the Saviour saves us by taking the penalty for our sin on himself. As Steve Chalk said, I don't really need to believe that bit. He said some deeply troubling and offensive thing that if people had listened carefully, he made jokes. He made punchlines out of things that are shouldn't be serving a punchline. That should have been a warning sign. A lot of people didn't spot it. But what he was gradually doing was undermining people's confidence in the teaching of God's word. Because what then happened next was that he started to question much more teaching. And now would question whether or not we should take the Old Testament and much of Scripture as being God's inspired word to us. Just that little hook in to try and bring the whole thing down eventually. Another guy at the same time was a guy called Rob Bell. And again, he came in with... Uh, um, this line of attack where he appeared to be orthodox in so many things, but started to question things like what the Bible says about hell. Again, just picking on one thing, taking away from one thing that the Bible teaches to start to undermine the rest of it. It's often very subtle, very crafty that you wouldn't notice it at first. So the wolves will come in with false teaching and, and that can happen just as much as in the local church as it does in the national church. And one of the things you have to be very keenly aware of and watching out for if you are a pastor, if you're an elder in a church and there is plural responsibility for teaching in the church, um, in the main gathering, in 
small groups in um, in Sunday club for children and youth groups is just how people can just very slightly shift things off balance. It's not nitpicking to challenge a preacher in feedback if you notice that their emphasis is moving away from the gospel and onto other things. If you notice that they are less and less overtly taking time to remind people of God's grace to them in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Watch for those subtle shifts. And so I, I want to suggest that means two very practical things for your responsibility as a church. Here's the first thing. Make sure that among your leadership are people who are gifted, are taking time to study the whole of scripture, to study and to train and be equipped in theology. I'm not saying they have to go to seminary to do this, but they should spend their time and their energy in studying and working hard so that they know God's word, they know how it fits together, they know the, the essential doctrines. Make sure you have people that take those things seriously and that you take them seriously. And make sure then that the whole church is being taught the whole counsel of God. And make sure that you don't shy away from difficult texts. But the best way to do that is to take the Bible, look at books of the Bible and preach, use an expository preaching and teaching and discussion through whole books of the Bible and to cover as much of the Bible as possible so that you teach New Testament books and Old Testament books, epistles and letters, prophecy and poetry so that your church family is soaked in God's word, familiar with it, know how it fits together and themselves are able to refute false teaching. And you see that's what Paul says that he has done. I declare to you, verse 26, that this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. Why? Because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. So, in terms of guarding from false teaching, look at the gifting that you have in the church. Look at the training and the equipping that leaders and teachers have within the church. Look at your teaching diet, the food that you're feeding, so that your congregation know where to find good food and where to stay away from poison and where to stay away from wolves. It means as well that we take time from time to time. This shouldn't be sort of a weekly event, but we should, when we are aware of false teachers, we should name them. Why I've named a couple today. So that our congregations know 
that, that if people are relying on the books and the videos and the blogs of people that we know to be in error, then your congregation is alert to it. And, and sadly, that will mean that if somebody is leading people away from the gospel, leading people away from the truth, from within your church, then you have to exercise church discipline so that the church family are aware that this person and their teaching is toxic, it's, it's dangerous. Wolves don't just come in with doctrinal false teaching. Wolves is not just about a lack of orthodoxy, heterodoxy. It's also about using a, the technical word of a practice or heteropraxis or false, meaning straight or true, praxis meaning practice, the life of the church, um, hetero different or faulty or wrong. So a false teacher is heterodox, a true teacher is orthodox. Someone who leads people away from right practice, from obedience to Christ, is heteropraxis. I think that this is so important. And this is the problem where we've seen sin in the church and it's not been taken as seriously as it should be. It's why I disagree with those who say that the problem with recent abuse scandals, specifically the, the Fletcher scandal and the Smith scandal, some of the others as well, that the problem wasn't to do with doctrine and teaching. John Smith case, the particular issue there was that somebody was taking young lads from a private school and beating them to allegedly to build up a Christ-like discipline in their life. Jonathan Fletcher was doing the same but with adults, young men. Now, there are several problems with that. The first is that this is horrifically abusive and destructive. That they use this claim of piety again as a cover for doing things that are purely about their own gratification. And it's very clear that there's this homoerotic gratification in the things that they were doing. Secondly, they were encouraging people to live a life outside of God's grace, a life outside of the gospel. They were saying this is how you should live. Thirdly, 
in doing that they were denying the power of the gospel they were saying that you have to do things you have to be subjected to this suffering in order to make you right for god to enable to give you power for life uh, they were denying god's grace and they were false teachers they were heterodox I want to add at this point something that we don't give enough time to, and that's this. That as well as orthopraxis or heteropraxis, as well as orthodoxy or heterodoxy, there's something that we might call orthopathy and heteropathy from pathos, which is to do with our emotions, our affections, our feelings. And I think one of the things that we can see in a church is the way that people can manipulate the mood and the emotions of others to encourage them to feel wrong and to respond in the wrong way emotionally to what God is doing in the life of the church and in the hearts of believers. Not got enough time to go into detail for all of these. There's some stuff I'm writing on my, my blog at the moment and you can dip into some of those things. But hopefully that gives you some headlines of things to look out for. What that means is we've got a responsibility for discernment. So how do we discern how do we watch out for wolves, for false teachers, for false spirits? Well, 1 Corinthians 12 says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And it seems there that these people were coming from a pagan background where they'd worshipped idols. Uh, they actually weren't used to any possible spiritual manifestation that could be genuine. That they were used to anything happening just being a pretense. Uh, and Paul says, uh, uh, now you're in the, the real world of the spiritual battle that is happening when the church gathers. You are really going to hear God speak. You are really going to see God at work as the Holy Spirit works in this church. But there will be counterfeits as well. How are you to spot the counterfeits? Well, it's all to do with their attitude to Jesus. And this, this isn't as simplistic as if you get somebody to say the words, Jesus is Lord. That proves they're okay. It's not that they, if they say that and they're not true, that they're false, that they're going to sort of like collapse in some choking, foaming fit. It, it, it's not that every time the false teacher says something about Jesus, they can't help themselves, they have this kind of Tourette's type tick, a demonic, a demonic Tourette's, where they end up just suddenly shouting out, Jesus be cursed! We know that's not true. But the point is this. If somebody's filled with the Holy Spirit, and their heart is true, and their 
purpose is right, then everything that they say and they do is going to be pointing to Christ to glorify him. As anyone who is in it for themselves, what they do and they say is going to ultimately lead to a dishonouring of Christ. It's going to distract people away from the gospel. In fact, what we will see is that the dominant theme will be a narcissistic one, that it will be all about themselves, that they will want to be exalted at the expense of Christ. So they are Lord and Jesus is cursed. So we're on our guard, we make sure that we are well trained. We make sure that the church itself is trained and equipped and it's taught well from God's word. We are discerning, we're looking to see the hearts and the priority of those that seek to be active in the life of the church, who seek to be involved in the lives of others. It's their priority to see Jesus honoured the church blessed and edified and built up or is their priority their own glory and their own satisfaction this can be quite an overwhelming task and that's why it's so important to remember that we are the under shepherds Christ is the shepherd, it's his church, and so we constantly depend on him. He is the one, ultimately, who provides for us and protects us.